Today, today is a day of hope. I'm tempted to say of cautious hope, but I think hope is meant to be defiant and not cautious. Uh, the cautiousness, I admit, is me, is my own. Uh, skeptic by nature as I am and prone to defend myself for what hasn't happened yet. But be that as it may, I insist on hope. And today is a day of hope. A hope that we can hold together. Because today we start a new theme for the fall semester ahead. And I know we, we have done this dozens of times before. So why is this time any different? Well, because this is the first time that we actually launch a semester theme standing here at Hasle Church together. And considering that we moved into this space almost a year ago, that is actually a quite big deal. Some of you are new here and perhaps you don't know this, but we used to meet at another church. Uh, we used to meet at a church called Bakihaun Church. And we moved here last October to this space. That was 46 weeks ago today. But this is only our 15th Sunday service in this place out of those 46. And the reason, of course, we all know, the reason is the COVID pandemic. The reality of the pandemic compelled us to forsake meeting in person for the sake of each other. For the sake of those more vulnerable in our society to whom this virus was more likely to be deadly, for the sake of a world that is still struggling and suffering with the reality and the consequences of this pandemic. So as things started getting a bit better and more people were vaccinated, we slowly started meeting again this summer. And now as we officially start our fall semester, we make this a day of hope. Hope that the numbers of infected people, and especially the numbers of those who get seriously ill or may die of this virus, that they may continue to decrease. Hope that vaccines will be distributed to other countries, right? And not only to our privileged Western bubble. Hope that all of us will be willing to walk all the extra miles that may be necessary to make sure that everyone, not just us, are not only safe from this virus, but supported in recovering from all the devastating consequences of its impact in society, economy, and private and spiritual life. And so also, hope that this may be the start of a semester in which we actually get to meet here every week. Hope that this will be a semester in which we get to fill this space with song and with prayer, with tears and with laughter, with holy liturgical chants and holy giggling and pitter-patter of children's feet. 
Hope that this may be the beginning of a season in which the light shining through these stained glass windows may fall not on empty seats, but on a living and moving community. Finally, Oslo International Church is meeting at Hasta Church. So it seems like a proper time to ask, what does that mean anyway? What does that mean? It's a rather odd sentence if you think about it. Oslo International Church meets at Hasle Church. What does that even mean? As people walk past this building on a Sunday afternoon and get to know that OIC is gathering here, they're bound to ask, what on earth is OIC? <laughs> and I guess our first answer is, oh, sorry, that stands for Oslo International Church. We just got used to calling it OIC. We sometimes forget, right? And they say, okay, thanks, but what's that? What is Oslo International Church? What will people meet if they come inside and see what it's all about? Now, there is, of course, the obvious answer to our not very original but very descriptive name, right? It is a church that is in Oslo and that has people from all over the world. Oslo International Church, right? It works. But that doesn't really answer the most important question. What is a church? Or perhaps more to the point and a bit less abstract, why are we here and what are we doing here? We use the English word church for a number of things. When someone walks past this building, they most likely know that they are passing in front of a church. It's actually written in big letters on the wall outside over there. Hasle Kirke. Hasle Church. Right? And this is most certainly the, the most common use of the word in the English vernacular. Church as a building. A structure. A structure built for religious purposes. More oft, most often, at least in the West, linked to Christianity. A church. I guess most people would also know or could very easily find out by just checking some of the posters outside, that this particular church building belongs to the Church of Norway. And that is probably the second most common use of the word. We talk about the Church of Norway, uh, the Anglican Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church, the Catholic Church, and so on. And by that, we do not mean necessarily a specific church building, but we mean a, a collection or a number of churches and congregations or people that share a common doctrinal understanding. But perhaps, perhaps you are one of those people who have walked into the church building to see what it's all about. Or maybe, maybe you have grown up being familiar with Christianity and maybe even participated actively and are a member of one of these organized uh, church groupings, which we would call denominations. In that case, you have probably become familiar with yet another use of the word church. And I want to look at, the, at a Bible text together with you to see what I am getting at. And uh, I'm going to read from the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, and I'm going to read from chapter 1 from verse 15. And this is what Paul says there. 
The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, obviously, Paul is not speaking here about a church as a building. And he's not speaking here of church as a denomination. When Paul refers to church here, he's talking about all those who in his words from a bit further in verse 22, all of those who have been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death. That is, all who have believed in the good news of Christ's death and resurrection and have accepted it through faith to be a means of grace and reconciliation. They are the church under Christ, and Paul uses the image of a body with Christ being the head of this body. Now, most Christians will be aware of this use of the word church. Sometimes we call it the worldwide church, if you want to be more specific, uh, or less specific. <laughs> the worldwide church. Uh, we in OIC, we are very much familiar with this dimension and with this use. We, we maybe think about it more often uh, than many others because... Yeah, we come from all sorts of different places of the world, right? Many of us were Christians from before, so we also come from very many different denominational backgrounds. We're being reminded every Sunday when we meet someone new <laughs> that they're coming from another church, right? From another background, from another place. And we have been meeting in this, in this uh, place here in this beautiful and welcoming place only since October last year and consistently only since June, right? Before that, we met in Bakihawan Church and before that, we met in Gamlibian Church, right? For a while, we even met in the basement of an apartment building. But we call ourselves Oslo International Church. So if you ask us what is the church, we might answer in proper Sunday school tradition, right? What is the church? The body of Christ. Right? The body of Christ. And that is a proper and it is a biblically grounded and biblically sound answer to the question, what is the church? But it doesn't necessarily answer the question, what is a church? What is a church? And it's even less likely to answer the question, why are you here? And what are you doing here? To put it another way, even though we know that the church is the body of Christ and that that is a reality that crosses geographical and denominational borders, still, we as a community of faith, we wanted and prayed for and worked for to get a place 
a place to gather when we found out that we would have to move from where we gathered before. Even though we talk of the church as the body of Christ, still we celebrated when Hasle opened their doors for us. Still we call ourselves Oslo International Church. We, we have a name and a place. And so did the people to whom Paul was writing, actually. And I want to read uh, with you what he says to them in the end of his letter to the Colossians. We just read from the beginning, but I just want to read for you what two verses from the end, from chapter 4 of Colossians, verses 15 and 16. He says, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodicea, of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. The Greek word that on the vast majority of cases is translated for the English word church is ecclesia. Ecclesia. For, for us Latin people who speak Latin languages, it's a lot easier to get that connection. That's what you call it in English, you call it igreja, which comes from ecclesia, right? That's the most common uh, word. And here in the, ender, in the end of this letter, Paul is using the word ecclesia in its most common use in the first century, uh, which is not originally even a religious use, right? Uh, ecclesia in the first century common language was an assembly of people convened for a reason. Most often, or the original meaning of the word had to do with a reason of civic duty. So the democracies, the democratic cities of Greece of that time would have in ecclesia, it meant a gathering of the citizens to discuss matters of the city, right? So they were called to an ecclesia, an assembly of people convened for a reason. And then that word started being used for different uh, settings in which people would be called forward, assembled somewhere for a specific reason. So the use that Paul makes of the word ecclesia in the first chapter of Corinthians is actually highly unusual. And he only uses it in this more abstract sense because it is connected to its use in a more concrete sense. In most of the cases, Paul uses the word, uh, the, when, he, when Paul uses this word, he is talking about ecclesiae, which is plural, the churches. The way that this word made its way into the Christian language, into the Christian vernacular, was to say the Christians who assemble in this city, in Laodicea. The Christians who are assembled in Corinth. The Christians who are assembled in Jerusalem, or wherever it may be. And that's where it first came. It's what Paul is doing here in the end of his letter. The Ecclesia in Laodicea. But embedded into the notion. So, so, so sorry. So what it, what it started to mean then is, when we talk about it that way, what they mean is the assembly in God in a specific place. But embedded into the notion of Ecclesia, 
both in the first century common use and all the more in this wider theological sense that Paul then imparts to it, is this notion that the people assembled in an ecclesia are assembled for a reason. It's not a random gathering of people that happens to be on the public square. It's people who are assembled for a specific reason. So there is something of fundamental importance that happens when these people have an assembly in God, an ecclesia, something for which they've been assembled. And a good place to look when trying to understand the nature of ecclesiae, of these gatherings, is the very first description of them, which we find in the book of Acts. And I want to read it for you. Acts 2, chapter, or sorry, chapter 2 from verses 42 to 47. And this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. What happens when those reconciled to God and to each other through the body of Christ. As Paul describes this church as the body of Christ, what happens when they gather in ecclesiae, in space and time, in the location? If we look into this text from Acts, well, we see a couple of things. There when these people gather, these people who have been reconciled to God and to each other through the body of Christ, when they assemble, there is worship. There is worship. There is singing. There is declaring of who God is. There is the declaration that God is creator, son, and Holy Spirit, that Christ is the Lord and that Christ is king. There is worship. When these people gather, there is embodiment of the gospel. Right? The declara- and with that, the declaration that the kingdom of Christ has come. The good news of this Christ who is near are manifested in tangible acts of grace, mercy, and embracing. There is breaking of bread. There is welcoming of people. There is giving to the needy. There is embodiment of the good news. And there is witness. There is witness. There is the declaration that we have been reconciled and welcomed as his people, as God's children. 
These things, they happen in space and time. In the Ecclesiae. The reality of the local church, of the Ecclesia of International People in Christ in Oslo, is a living message and manifestation to ourselves as individuals and as a congregation and to the world and the city that we gather in. A message and manifestation that Christ and God are one. That their kingdom is come and that we have been reconciled to be their people. It is only because of the reality of these ecclesiae that Paul can go on and make use of the word ecclesia also to describe then this body of Christ that welcomes all the churches into its embrace. When John in the island of Patmos receives the revelation of things to come, he sees the whole ecclesia, the whole body of Christ, people of all nations gathered the whole church gathered before the throne. But when he gives his messages, he gives the messages to the ecclesiae with names and specific struggles, specific joys, specific virtues and specific failures, people in time and space with hands that are dirty from the local soil. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, in one of his letters in which he uses most extensively and richly this image of the body of Christ, he is writing to a church struggling with the challenges of what it means to be the ecclesia in Christ in Corinth. The body of Christ is always manifested locally in time and space. It is manifested, it is manifested here in our wonderfully peculiar ecclesia. Our wonderfully, weirdly set up community assembled in Christ, called to be us and to be him. To be him in us and us in him. And that, above everything else, is why today is a day of hope. Hope that when we meet in this place, we may know and experience and learn what it means that this is the body of Christ, which isn't contained here, but is somehow manifested and expressed as we are assembled. That this is the man, a, a manifestation of the kingdom of the risen Christ, an embodiment and manifestation of the grace of the crucified. Hope that that Reality may embrace us and may be manifested through us. That we may somehow, by his grace, grow into it. Hope that the stories we tell, that the songs we sing, 
that the prayers that we sigh and exhale from our bodies and our souls, that they may be colored by the light of Christ shining through them on ourselves and our those around us. Like light through stained glass windows. Stained glass windows depicting holy stories and holy symbols and multiple hues of beauty and complex patterns. Stained glass windows are a trademark of churches throughout the world. Often they tell a story. Often they want to say something. (laughs) But their colors and what they tell us They only bear on those within and without their walls when light shines through them. Today is a day of hope. Hope that the ground that we step as a community of faith inside these walls and wherever. (laughs) That the ground that we step as a community of faith may be flooded with the light of the world. And that somehow it can shine through the stories we tell and through the stories we live In such a way, in such a way, that we may know, and that people may know, that God is with us. That grace shines on battered ground and turned over soil and rocky places and green ones. Hope that the ground we step in Oslo, in Brazil, in Ethiopia or Singapore, (laughs) but today, today, right now, here, that the ground we step as a community of faith may be flooded with the light of the world. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you peace. Go in peace and serve the Lord joyfully.